Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in sports cars. We don't call it the listener Q&A show, Graham, but it kind of oh. sort of is uh, more yes. than half the time, except for the times when we decide it's not. But for whatever this is, and this does happen to be a listener Q&A episode, not it just is. Graham and I uh, flapping our gums. Uh, it's powered by you. The questions you send in keenly, finally assembled by the Daniel Summers Gill. This entire Him. thing we do, Graham, my dear friend, editor of dailysportscar.com, not dot net, dot nope. org, dot do co, dot uk. Um, yeah, dot mill or dot yes. ru. None of those things yet. Um, it's all brought to us courtesy Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers in Toronto Motorsports.com. Uh, hey, it is 12.15 in the p.m. here in Northern California on Tuesday, December 20th. This is my second day of vacation, Graham. Uh, my vacation started Monday at 7 a.m. Uh, when I started work. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so um, I tell myself I'm on vacation, but then I find myself in the office here uh, in the morning and then to the end of the day and whatever. So, uh, yeah, this is a vacation edition of the Weekend Sports Cars. So how do you like that? I think that's that's amazing. I think your public service ethic uh, to, to do with sports car racing, I think, makes makes other people blush by comparison. I, I think you're my hero. All of those lies you just told, I received like massive Christmas presents. So, um, <laughs> hey, so we got them questions. We mm. got, got them ideas, got them words, got them things to speak. I am going to make a radical suggestion and say that we start doing that because if we start doing okay. it, that means we are on the way to uh, being done with it and publishing it. So where would you like to start, Mr. Goodwin? I think we'll start, I think it's, it's, it's not that traditional, but from the beginning, I think. Ooh. And the beginning comes our way with, um, I think, what, Certainly, you as an American referred to as a heck a bunch question. Heck a bunch, yes, that is an official um, measurement term somewhere between British Imperial, American Standard, yeah. Uh, yeah. heck a bunch, right there in the middle. Heck a bunch. The Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona entry list. Now, both you and I, MP, were at the GTP test. We've talked about that already uh, on the show. Uh, but in the almost immediate wake of that, we've got a 60 car entry list. With what we believe are at certainly at the point of announcement of the 60 car, the indicative entry list were around 10 cars on a reserve list. I believe that a number of those cars will have fallen away from that reserve list now. All 10, um, we can confirm and reveal this is a hashtag breaking exclusive Ooh. scoop on go, that's go. right, the Weekend Sports Cars show. Yes. All 10 entered by Kevin Buckler, the racers group. All of them. Yes. All blue identical blue Porsches. Porsches, yes. Uh including the the actual race winning one from what will end up being twenty years. Yes, twenty year anniversary yep. of that. So yes, ten car entry. Interestingly, and I probably wouldn't disagree with IMSA on this. All denied. So mm -hmm. oh, fair <laughs> no, I that take that been, back. Kevin's that delightful. Been. He he just selfless. Uh, just always thinking about the good of others. Never, not a single time in history, Graham. I know you're going to back me up on this. 
Never okay. once has he said anything that might be perceived as a uh, self uh, ingratiating or uh, mildly business interested. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think it, 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 having all ten on that um, on that reserve list will give him time to reflect on those choices. I think. Um, but back into the world of the living, um, and <laughs> there are indeed we think around ten cars uh, that were initially judged to be um, or a, a reserve list level, and principally MP. That's because. There are big numbers for the full season for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and big numbers for the Michelin Endurance Cup. And they clearly have been given priority. There's a sense that one or two others um, have been given uh, a bit of a leg up because they're putting in big support for, for instance, in the case of TGM, the uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge. That's a car linked with TF Sports opting to go into GTD Pro for what I believe is linked in to needing to use less of the bronze time. It's a rather extraordinary um, choice from that squad. Uh, but they are indeed the, I think I'm right, the eighth car in uh, GTD Pro. Um, Chris Ward, though, asks what big names are on that, uh, that uh, reserve list. Uh, Ewan Wayne at Smoking Poppy 841 says, do you think we'll get a public reserve list for Relics 24? Um, Johan Heredia. Uh, says again, what are the 10 uh, on there? And John Richter asking whether or not we were surprised by the entry list emissions. There's one um, omission from the list I have to say I am very surprised indeed about. Um, and that is a GTD Pro car, and that is the, um, you know, the pretty widely trailed return of a team that ran what gave us an extraordinary finish to GTD Pro last year. Uh, that was with the Porsche 911 GT3R and the clash on the final lap uh, at the Le Mans chicane, the bus stop chicane. Uh, that's KCMG, mm. who would you who would put an entry, but it is a, a, a Daytona only entry for um, an Acura NSX uh, GT3. That car, my understanding is, well, it was not the first reserve, it may well have been the second. So that was a bit of a surprise. Um, a disappointment, certainly for the team, uh, was the second car entered by TF Sport. That's the racing team Turkey LMP2 Orica. That car was definitely on uh, the reserve list. And beyond that, you're then looking into what about Milner Motorsport, who we believe would have been there and thereabouts with at least an LMP3, possibly, but I think unlikely, uh, an LMP2 as well. Uh, a range of other cars that were likely looking at. Um, doing just the Rolex 24. Um, don't know if there's any on there that uh, any on that list that um, you're aware of that particularly piqued your interest. No, and maybe I'm just doing a bad job of my job, Graham. But I tend to be busy enough with things that yeah. are happening and are real. And granted, if I had less to do and more free time. <laughs> Uh, and and uh, fewer responsibilities yes. in life, I would probably be fully stuck in trying to ferret out the 10 and the secret not accepted folks revealed. And like, and again, I'm not yeah. making light of any of this. Of course, we're all curious, taking that curiosity to the point of turning it into a work product. Uh, since I've been on vacation working since 7 a.m. Monday morning, um, 
this isn't on the list of things to chase down, but I'm sure we will get a better feel for this. Um, yeah. Maybe some, any of those teams that are listening can yeah, I do mean, us a solid and yeah. raise your hand on the social medias and say, hey, we're one of them. Granted, they probably wouldn't uh, because, yeah, uh, I'm sure that since they were not named in that uh, entry list put out, probably a little something i'm guessing there might have been some verbiage somewhere in a yep. hey sorry you didn't uh make it this time but you're on our uh our overflow list and by the way keep that to yourselves um so but yeah. for those whether, of you whether who, or not we do see a, a smaller list and i think it will by the way mp be a smaller list by the time we get a little further down the line believe the deadline has passed for the next stage of entry fees to be put in and believe that everybody has paid. So that's another nail in the coffin, I'm afraid, of the aspirations of the teams that didn't make the full list. Uh, there is one question, though, and it came up once before on Twisk that John Richter asks, and he says, beyond the JDC 963 program, and for that matter, the uh, the Proton um, LMDH, any other GT programs that are slated to come online in IMSA besides Andretti? Oh, sorry, besides Andretti for 2023, and that that does acknowledge the fact that uh, you put in that uh, that story um, uh, you know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago for a race, didn't you? But these is it sprints only? Uh, and I'm just trying to mute this phone. Apologies. Sorry, I'm just been me, texting you uh, uh, naked pics of myself. Uh, I, I should stop doing that. I apologize. Um, between the dings, I missed a little bit of what you said, so I apologize. Um, I, I think what John is flagging up again is the story you uh, popped into racer with this. Was it an Aston Martin for Andretti for the sprint races? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're meant to do the non-Enduros. Uh, so as I understand, and I again, could be wrong because they haven't formally announced this. Hey, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on a sec. God bless you, son. Ooh, yeah. Wow. I need to lay off the bourbon in the morning. Um, as I you certainly shouldn't snort it, I should tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> a very interesting way of drinking it. We won't get into that, but I will send you more of those pictures. You just won't hear it dinging anymore. Uh, as I understand it, I believe the Andretti Autosport Jarrett Andretti led effort will see their P3 car used for the Enduros and their Aston Martin. A GT2, a GTD car for the good old uh, sprinty sprinters. So, okay. yeah, a little bit of back and forth. What I don't know, we'll find out um, in time, is what this could mean for the future. Um, mm. I would imagine we'll see one or more stories written about this, Graham, as we get closer to the season opener here at Daytona. I may be okay. someone writing this story. You may as well, but... Mm. Are we heading into the final season of LMP3 as a WeatherTech Championship class? I would put, if you can tell me where to place this bet online, where it would actually pay money uh, if it's accurate, tell me where that is because I would put really, really serious money on LMP3 in light of GTP taking off and only continuing to grow when we get into 2024 with 
Lamborghini coming in and mm-hmm. think customer cars, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe some of the other brands that have customer cars actually deliver them by 2024. Um, I think we're going to get to a place, Graham, if we're just talking full season, right? Obviously we get these big spikes at Daytona, Sebring, Petite and whatnot, but the full season rundown of entries, uh, looking at GTP in 2024, I think mm-hmm. is going to be robust enough uh, we're launching this formula with nine full-time GTP cars. Again, I think we could be 12 to 14 in, th- you know, if some other manufacturers let some customer cars go for the first time as well. We know Porsche has uh, obviously um, greenlit some of that. We could be in a place where we simply don't need P3 in the WeatherTech Championship. And like the former American Le Mans Series GTC class, which was Porsche Cup cars, it just true and pure filler content. No disrespect to those who drove. There's some great drivers who were in them, but this was a bit of strategy done to bolster and dial up the full season entries because they were lacking. P3 doing that very same thing. I just do believe, Graham, that uh, instead of having three prototype categories, in the WeatherTech Championship, I think we might be down or back to the top category plus P2 once we get to 2024. So does that mean this half-season-ish flirtation in GTD for Andretti could become full-time in Mm -hmm. 2024 because there will not be an LMP3 class for them to compete in on the WeatherTech level? Um, Again, I'd put all my money on that happening right now. Okay, and I'll add one more thing about 2024, and that's one other possibility to, let's say, bolster the field. It doesn't need bolstering, but to add, add further weight to the top of the field, particularly for the Rolex 24. By then, we'll have another group of cars that will have had a full season of racing in the FI World Endurance Championship. Of course, at the moment, brand new cars, they're not going to bring them for an outing at uh, Daytona. But come 2024, I think that's a higher possibility. Once things are bedded in, once teams and fan manufacturers are in a position where they can be more confident of what they've got, um, you know, on their hands with their their new racing package in the WC's hypercar class, could we then start to see um, some of the WEC cars come and request a bit of a play at the Rolex 24? I think there's a much higher likelihood of that uh, with another year. Uh, so, you know, with the another year on the on the cars, but that's all in the future. For now, we're going to switch effortlessly into the next little batch of questions. This comes off the back MP of what we saw, what we heard, what we observed at the test at Daytona. Credible Hulk says, "Do the GTP cars look on track to finish the entire Rolex 24, or do the LMP2s look like a real threat?" because of their reliability dave love 50 says gentlemen do you think the gtp fleet heading into the rolex 24 is a legit chance of a zero car finish or do you think teams are just sandbagging for bopness i don't think it's the latter um kevin kemp with reliability concerns for gtp what do you think of the chances for lmp2 over or winner john richter much the same and yeah so it goes on what did we uh what did we say i believe we said it in one of our uh end of day recap videos i believe we said uh, we and pretty much everyone we spoke with 
We're all saying they were putting money on the New Garden, McLaughlin, Kiffin Simpson, and John Ferrano yeah. Tower P2 for the overall win. That's unchanged, y'all. Yep. That's 100% unchanged. Uh, th- yeah, it's, it's not that much slower is the straight answer. And whilst cars can pick up multiple laps thanks to the unique way in which uh, the MSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship uh, rule system works, we were seeing... A lot of niggles. Uh, and for me, the biggest looming issue here, yeah, look, it was not the MGU part of the the car that, that was the, the big bugbear, was it, at the test. It was basically systems and systems integration. They're very short on time. They're very short on parts. And there are still multiple iterations of updates seemingly coming by the session, never mind the day. Uh, and I think that's where the weakness lies. It's how quickly can they turn around a minor problem. The the other weakness lies in it's inherent in the LMDH rule sets. Those cars cannot run without the hybrid system working. Okay, there's no alternation on the car. If the hybrid system fails, the car stops and would then have to be recovered and would then have to be fixed. And it's that level of risk this early in the game uh, i think as I, I said in the, the days following mp what we've got to look at here is would it be failure yeah come on it would be failure but the whole point of these organizations getting into racing is twofold one is a great big marketing bonanza for them that's what they're looking for but two is to show that motorsport still has a role in high-quality, rapid development for technology. And no matter what has been said about LMDH, I'll tell you right now, as a real-world potential customer for something new and slightly techy in the next year or two, I am far more convinced about a performance hybrid than I currently am about an EV. And this is real-world relevance um, if those brands want to use it as an opportunity to talk to the audiences they've got for those technologies. Do I think they're in trouble? I think there's a lot of trouble to come here. I think we are going to see every single one of the teams that can doing a tortoise and hare routine, one car at pace and one car not. Um, I'd be very surprised indeed if we saw sustained, you know, 99% pace from both cars and a two-car team uh, much beyond the first few laps of that race. So one one little thing to uh, to modify there. Two key issues that you and I witnessed at that Daytona test, MGU problems. Yep. Um, so MGU side, very much the part that the the major component that has caused plenty of concern with within folks. That's mm-hmm. not a critical statement towards its manufacturer, Bosch. No. And it, it, look, if I had very critical things to say about them and their product, I would. I don't. So I believe we've mentioned more than once, one of those failures was attributed to it being extremely high mileage, close to yep. what would be a, a uh, refurbishing or, or swapping out for a, a fresh unit. The other one, I don't have the full understanding of what took place but the here's just a couple things, and I'm going to chuck this into a video or two as we, again, get into January, probably Graham, but 
in those that I spoke with technical director types uh, across some of the manufacturers, a battery change, if there mm-hmm. is some sort of issue with the Williams provided battery, it's about a 30 minute swap. Now, mm. exactly how long would say it'd probably be very similar across all four models so far, Acura, BMW, Cadillac, and Porsche. The rule, or one of the rules, one of the many rules, but one of the rules which is smart and benefits the uh, swapping of batteries, etc., is the floors on the car are not one piece, they're two piece. So Mm -hmm. removing the side of the floor that covers up where the battery is installed uh, in whichever model, in the passenger side uh, of the cars. Um, that should be pretty quick, fairly universal in terms of ease. Now, let's say we have some sort of battery issue for Team X during the race. The first thing you mentioned, and this, I, brother, I had a hour-long conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, a Le Mans winning entrant, right, mm-hmm. um, who said who it took about three or four repetitions of me telling him, no, there's no alternator on the GDP cars. What happens if there's a problem with the, the hybrid system? Granted, he's called the hybrid system. That There's no such thing. Take a internal combustion engine, then an energy recovery system, put those together. You have hybrid propulsion. There's no, quote, hybrid system. But anyways, uh, what if something goes wrong? Well, pray it's the MGU-ish, maybe, but maybe not. Pray it's the battery, but maybe, maybe not. I can't think of a way, Graham, Mm -hmm. where there's a better failure or issue on either side. Because let's say, hey, for example, the battery is just fine, but there is some sort of problem failure within the MGU. Well, okay, uh, we're not going to be charging things because the MGU is not, in theory, working or functioning correctly. But hey, if we still have some sort of charge in the battery, we could get back to pit lane. Great. But if you're losing voltage and whatever throughout the system to run the engine, to run the injectors, to run the, you name it. Uh, but you have the battery that still has a charge in it. Got it. But if the MGU isn't fully working, how would that then take that energy from the battery and put it to the rear wheels and yeah. flip that around the same way as well? Let's say the MGU is fine, but there's a battery malfunction. Where does the charge go? Does the motor still run? Can you limp back? So, I can't think of any scenario where there's some sort of ERS, some sort of problem within the ERS systems where you go, oh, that's bad, oh, but that's okay. At least as I have run through the scenarios, they're <laughs> all bad. Now, yep. granted, if we're talking about you're coming out of the bus stop chicane, firing through NASCAR turn three, and something goes poop, is do you have the ability to chuck the thing into neutral and coast into pit lane, hopefully? Yes. So just want to run through that very quickly. But there's the other part to consider here. The swap of the battery said to take about 30 minutes. We're not including 
the time the car in theory would come to pit lane if that's what the decision was made to do to take bodywork off look at things depending on what's found decisions made then push the car back to pit lane mm -hmm. this easily becomes an extra five minutes ten minutes again i don't know what exactly what but if you look at the entire amount of time that could be lost if just a battery change needs to be done and it's just like a cartridge effectively it's a pretty simple uh, change to make if you lose 30 minutes that's what 15 to 18 laps you've lost mm -hmm. if you chuck on another 10 or 15 minutes kind of going back and forth between pit lane and whatever else you can get laps back at daytona but if the easiest part of the new hybrid gtp cars the uh, the the sparky electrical parts if the easiest component to change out is the problem oh good lord you're still losing a ton of laps if we're talking about an mgu issue graham yeah oh boy so game um, over well at that point hi yeah this is another question that was raised and it wasn't it wasn't related to the rolex 24 but my friend asked well what about it le mans uh what will they allow you to change in the overall ers system if there are failures there i don't know if those rules have been put out i don't you know like hey if you have if your internal combustion engine fails you can't chuck a new one in there no. what kind of approach might be taken to these this new uh combined lmdh hypercar thing will there be limitations of yeah you could you can change the battery if you have an issue there but you can't change the mgu i don't know i just know this from what i witnessed and what we witnessed at daytona uh one of the cadillacs had that uh had an mgu issue their car compared to the other three models the most simplistic Yep. We're looking at the amount of componentry and plumbing and pipes and this is and that's and whatnot at the back of the car. So I'm not saying the car is simple, but by comparison to the others, it is simplistic. Simpler. And so the need to break the, the drivetrain off the back of the motor and swap out the MGU, I would say if a Cadillac has an MGU issue, they would likely be the fastest to replace it and get back on track. The time, though, oh, that's not a half hour. <laughs> that's not no. a half hour. That is definitely more than a half hour. That's probably an hour, um, I'd say, at minimum. Watching uh, one of the Acura teams having to do the same with their car? Graham? Yeah. I, I have a theory that the Acura ARX 06... When it came time to start designing the vehicle, I have a belief that it started with the MGU and the rest of the car was built around it. Because I've never seen so many things stripped off of the bell housing and this coming out and suspension coming off and the, the mounting bits for the suspension being extracted and this being taken off and that, I mean... It looked like someone, if you want to just think of internal combustion engines, it looked like someone was trying to strip a motor down to the bare block 
like that amount of holy crap we're removing everything just to try and split things apart to get to the mgu we haven't seen uh porsche have to do that haven't seen a bmw having to do that so i cannot speak to those models but i can say and i'm not picking on Acura. i'm just saying i stood there and watched it in amazement and kept filming and filming and filming and filming thinking oh now's the point okay no i'm gonna stop on that file and start recording another one because it just is going on and on and on um if an acura has an mgu issue and needs to replace it uh brother i don't know what the lap count is gonna be 30 50 more I, again i keep so just to to wrap up here we're kind of joking about putting money on a p2 winning not really though <laughs> i mean uh and of course famous last words so one of the cars uh what bmw the last to uh hit the track with theirs um uh, among the four brands graham um i think all that means of course one of the bmws is going to run flawlessly set a new lap record in the race uh, uh, but yeah other than that we're we're not trying to be unnecessary predi- doomsday predictors but if we have any issues with the uh, the ers system units i should say just prepare for the broadcast to have folks there might actually be i need to i just came up with something uh, I told you I've got some amazing new bills that we need to pay. I'm going to try and get a job as NBC's first Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona garage reporter, right? They're going to have like a whole ton of pit lane reporters. I'm going, no, I, I am not yeah, kidding. Yeah. I am going to put my hand forward because admittedly, if they're having problems, there's no one else who's going to know as much about this stuff as, as, as I'd probably be able to offer. I'm legitimately going to offer my services and hopefully they will pay well for it for me to be the first ever garage reporter. Cause I think it's going to be so dang busy back there. Uh, you're going to need someone just camped out uh, the whole time talking about all the things going sideways. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? It's going to be very interesting indeed. Let's move along. Um, Michael O'Keefe says, is there any truth the rumours that the Garage 56 Camaro might race at the Rolex 24? At the moment, MP, the uh, explanation as to why it is 60 cars and not 61 is that teams in the GTP class need a little bit more space than the DPI did. That is true. What do you think? Might we see the Camaro? Do I think we might see the car rock up and do a lap or two pre-race something or other probably um do i think we're going to see the vehicle enter and race Uh, no not at all i mean if it does i like to think i have a vague clue as to what's going on uh this would catch me 100 percent uh out if that were to actually happen okay there we go. There's your answer. Uh, let's have a quick look further down here. Uh, Alex Eichmiller asks about the dropping P3 or P2 even next year. Uh, let's move on, though, to the next big topic for the week. And that comes from 
the visit that I made immediately after Daytona. I was in Daytona for about a week. Um, got off the plane on the Saturday morning. On the Sunday morning, uh, I was on my way to the Gulf States of Qatar. Uh, been given the heads up just a few days earlier that uh, we were to expect an announcement. Uh, to no surprise at that point, MP. Yeah, yeah. Heard is just just to, to kind of uh, fill in the gaps as to what we've heard in a, it has to be said, glittering uh, press events uh, with four hypercars present, plus, by the way, one of the 2003 Bentleys and a couple of much older cars from the ACO Museum collection in attendance. Um, that would be we, the hypercars and the hip replacement cars. <laughs> so uh, we had, well, what, I'm just trying to remember what we had. But there, was a, there was a Peugeot, the Ferrari, for, which many people were seeing for the first time, by the way, and a lot of people taking a look at that car, close look, Camille Kobayashi, Jim Glickenhaus, etc. Uh, the Porsche and the Toyota all on display. Uh, Prime Minister of Qatar presence. Lots of representatives from a whole range of agencies, including, and we'll come to this in a, in a while, significantly a fair number of the management team from Qatar Airways. And, cut long story boring, from 2024, uh, the first round of the FI World Endurance Championship will take place in Qatar at the by then fully refurbished Lusail International Circuits, and that will be the case for six years. Um, so we'll get into questions about yeah, it. Let me. That, you want to kind of throw three things my way. Hurl these like a uh, drunken gaboon at yeah. the uh, at the zoo here. Uh, thankfully, they put up the glass. Uh, Yvonne says. Hey guys, what's your view in going to Qatar? Does a stack of cash, uh, is that worthy of holding a race in front of empty stands? Says, I do not remember having this question in the ACO survey a couple of years ago. I believe that fans would just prefer to start the season at Daytona. Um, instead of this round, Joe Camilleri says, does the FIA and WC not care about the human rights atrocities in Qatar leading up to the World Cup? Or the latest scandal with them in the EU says I was so pissed because we were planning a 2024 trip to Sebring for the double header. Our pal right turn lover says Qatar a bit tone deaf, isn't it? Stuart Murray asks, should we be racing in Qatar? Um, Gustavo Bamba, something similar in that front. Uh, Mark Whittledge, a um, little bit of a modified question in the same area. Um, the belief is. When we head into March, we will have the final Super Sebring be the final. Mm, not so maybe, sure. Possibly. Not, not so sure. Okay. Well, nonetheless, I'll, there I'll are some folks here who wonder if uh, they'll be losing Sebring as a WEC round and getting Qatar in exchange. So the, the human rights atrocities part, probably mm -hmm. the most voluminous question. Okay. Um, you and I spoke about this beforehand, not to study up on how we would respond, yeah, but just yeah. kind of, you know, uh, I think we have similar opinions, um, might not be what folks want to hear. Maybe they will. I don't know, but, uh, do you want to go? Yeah, I'll go for it. I mean, uh, first things first, uh, the indications from the senior management of the ACO and WEC are that whilst the current uh, contract with Sebring does indeed expire after the 2023 race is that they do expect they're going to be at Sebring in 2024. Um, did not guarantee anything after that, 
but that there should be a race at Sebring in 24. And looking at where the calendar is, you would have to expect that that will again be a double header. There's no real point in doing a second race meeting. So unfortunately, an arrangement I had to speak to one of the senior management uh, at uh, WEC about exactly this, unfortunately, fell victim to their schedule at the end of last week. But we'll, we'll keep on that. This is about growing the calendar. I'll, I'll come to the, the, the human rights, etc. in a moment. But this is about growing the calendar. And you recall on the weekend sports cars, uh, we had a couple of conversations, MP, about some uh, verbosity to do with the, uh, the clashes in calendar that we've had uh, we've got coming for uh, next season. There are two clashes, one with the Portimao race at the beginning of the European season and one with the Monza race at the end of the European season. And as I've explained, both of those have been somewhat imposed by the restrictions of having to use sea freight for economic reasons. So what does Qatar give us? Qatar, first and foremost, no doubt whatsoever, will be paying for this race. So it aids the the commercial case, if you like, for the WEC. Um, there's zero doubt that that then unlocks the opportunity to add a race at the beginning of the season. In other words, uh, you know, as a piece I wrote immediately after this, this press conference, and by the way, not with anybody's help, um, it's not, you know, that I've been given access to anybody's Q&A sheets, you just have to work these things out. And Qatar Airways are not, uh, you know, by accident, a partner in this race. There's a reason for them being there. And that is going to be some form of agreement about getting the cars to and from Qatar to wherever else it will be that they're going, whether or not that's going home or whether or not that's going to the United States. So in itself, immediately that unlocks the ability to move to an additional race in what is at the moment quite a tight equation. What we don't yet know is whether or not that is a an arrangement with the airline, who, by the way, are, I think I'm right, the third biggest international freight carrier in the world. Um, we don't yet know whether or not that is a partnership for that race or a partnership for the championship. If it's the latter, then that's very good news because that then unlocks the thorny issue about July, August, September before we go to Fuji. And it could mean, for instance, that you can move that race at Monza to avoid a clash. It could mean you could fit another race in at that point point in the, the, uh, in the calendar, move towards that nine or ten race calendar that we know the WC would like to have. To get there, they need help from for the commercial viability for air freight. At the moment, that's not a practical proposition. That's why that part of it is good news. Okay. As for the human rights thing, many of you will know that I've been involved in the politics of sport for quite a chunk of my career. Um, and I've been party to negotiations and conversations for a whole range of sports, whether that be the Olympic end of things, you know, professional team sports, professional cycling, et cetera, et cetera, that, that cover a whole range of issues, many of which will never, ever be in the public domain. 
So I speak on this principally as someone working in motorsport, not on the politics of sports, okay? In my experience of observing change, you are far more likely to enact change in a society from exposing that society to the individuals, the cultures, the behaviours of those incoming than you are by shouting at a keyboard. You know, it's um, it, it, whether or not it's my value, your value, there are a lot of values that we're talking about here that have had a, a whole lot of airing during, particularly during the, the, the World Cup, uh, that I absolutely do find to be unacceptable. The next question is, how do you change that? Now, I'm not saying you change that by going and having a motor race there. What I'm saying is that the more you expose people to the the human, behavioural, cultural, commercial realities of a society outside their own, frankly, the more likely you are to persuade people of the viability of your argument. Um, so here's the thing. Please don't shout at me or anybody else because we're going to be going racing in Qatar. Please don't do that, okay? The first thing I'll say is this. I do this for a living. So do most of the people who will be in that paddock. And the vast majority of us do not have the luxury of turning around to our employers or our contracting authorities and throwing our career away, okay? That's the first thing to say. So... I'll pop your hand up right now and say, if we get forward with this and we see some of the shrieking that was going on at people in a position where they didn't have the choice, it's either not you've not got this job, but you're giving away your career because of a choice you have not made. Now, okay, some people might be braver than I can be and might take that choice. But I would urge anybody who's going to get involved in this debate at a critical level to just remember that you are dealing with human beings on on all sides of this debate not just the human beings that you believe are being oppressed by a policy not just the human beings that you believe are enacting that policy but also the human beings that any other week of the year you will willingly stand trackside have a chat with them over uh, the threshold of a garage or in an awning or cheer them on from tv they're still the same people and we need, and this is a great example of it, to get to the stage where we all remember, not as a race, not as a social group, not as any kind of group, as a species, to start to debate and not argue. We need to start that. Shouting at people from afar, I think, is about the least persuasive way of an acting change that I can possibly imagine other than sheer violence. And uh, on this occasion, don't ask me whether or not I'm disappointed with the choice. I've explained the reasons why that choice has been made. And there are some sound reasonings behind it. You have to ask the question, by the way, beyond that, were there uh, any other alternatives which would have, uh, would have achieved all of those things? And I think the answer at the moment is no, there aren't. Um, I'll judge the viability or otherwise of this arrangement by what we start to see in the lead up to this event, during this event, after this event, 
and the next time we go back and the next and the next and the next because what we have seen in a number of societies where you see major sports uh, arrive there is there has been at least some subtle change that's what you should be looking for is for people in a position of authority in a position of influence to use that influence and not just expect them to do it publicly but to do it privately, to do it behind the scenes when they meet people in influential positions, to do it when they feel they've got a position of respect with those individuals, to use their influence, their access, their intelligence in a way in which they can make that change. You and I are not the determinants of where and when is the right place for them to do that. That's their choice. That's their decision. And if in any debate like this, you or I, MP or anybody else out there, chooses that their one contribution to the debate is to scream and shout from afar and tell everybody involved how awful a bunch of people they are, I'm telling you right now as someone who's potentially a victim of that in the future, because I'll tell you right here and now, if I'm still working on that uh, that, uh, broadcast team, I'll be going. You know, potentially a victim of that. Am I endorsing the regime? No, I'm not. Okay. What I'm doing is earning a living for my family. That's what I'm doing. Nothing more complex than that. It's that simple. And I'd ask you again, when you're making a decision about how you engage with this debate, to think about the fact that you are talking about some very ordinary individuals who are doing exactly the same as I'm talking about doing, which is, this is how I earn my living. I'm, you know, I have been an operator in a political environment in the past. I don't do that anymore. I happen to understand it better than most. What I'm doing is going to support the organization uh, and their ability to communicate their product to you at home. And the fact that a lot of you are listening to this podcast means you're probably a pretty good subset of the people that do listen. So are you going to be expecting myself, Martin Haven, and Davidson, anybody else, to be making political statements on that broadcast? I wouldn't hold your breath. We'll be talking about the racing. That's what we're there for. That, that's, that's my sermon on the mount for this one. Yeah. I, Christmas. I agree with some of that, Graham. Not all of it. I mean, okay. they're, they're, and look, I get bored when I'm in agreement with you and and everyone's all in agreement because that's in theory not what life's supposed to be about We're supposed to see yep. things in different ways and educate and inform one another uh maybe who knows so yeah is this an absolutely perfect uh incident of of greenwashing right of trying mm-hmm. to sports dazzle right uh dazzle the world with whether it's uh the world cup or uh world endurance championship or whatever Mm -hmm. else look at us um we're putting on entertainment we have we're flush with cash obviously so let's do a bit of greenwashing of uh whatever bad troubling or or uh, just wrong things that we're doing i think any reasonable person would look at this and say yeah probably falls into that category maybe this is part of being a little bit older uh than some um i'm always mindful graham of what's the hot thing that everyone's riled up about in leading them to want to cancel something 
And is yep. that valid or is this just a uh, the proverbial storm in a teacup where a couple weeks from now with the World Cup fading into the distance, folks, the folks are shouting mostly through social media about Qatar is the worst place in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Are those folks going to still be doing that? Or is this, again, going to be more of a situational thing, as often happens? And having seen some of the comments about, oh, great, the WC is going to Qatar, you know, all the human rights uh, violations and the insane stance towards LGBTQ plus community and just right run down all the well mm-hmm. shared things that makes Qatar bad and evil and terrible and we should never go there. Um, I'm not dismissing any of those things as being inaccurate for those who believe such things and of what I have learned along with others here recently, truly no question. It's a lot of troubling stuff here. The same folks shouting just as loudly when the WC announced it was going to China, when it was going to here, going to there. I mean, look, this again maybe comes with a little bit of benefit of age, but it wasn't so long we're here in my country when the WC was racing here. We were putting children in cages, Graham. Yep. You can, if that is your preference, find at least one thing in each country <laughs> where the WC, Formula One, WRC, name any globe-trotting racing series. Yep. If we wanted to expend the effort and energy, we could find at minimum one thing that should make all racing series that happen to be going to Turkey or wherever and say, out whether it's a dictatorship, whether there's crazy human rights things, whether it's financial inequity, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether again, I look at things like the backlash to going to Qatar and say, you know what, raising some valid points, I can't argue against most of them. Yep. But let's not be precious here, man. Um, We can disqualify every country. And whether it's for things they're doing today or something they've done recently, uh, could be ideology. Could I mean, yep. we can disqualify every country for the wrongs they have done, and we're all doing something right now uh, that we should absolutely not be doing. Uh, then you just, I chuck in the other thing, which is separate from human rights atrocities and violations and whatnot, but... Motor racing is, is not exactly the cleanest form of sport in the world. And I know we got hybridization and biofuels and all kinds of stuff, but whether it's the history of sponsors who've put folks, helped put folks in the grave with lung cancer to this, to that, uh, look, motor racing is by far the least clean sport I can think of. By its nature, I don't know if this is something where I see a lot of validity in saying, no, um, we're not going to go here because they're really bad there. We need to kind of cancel that country. You go, okay, again, I get it. There are some countries that are way worse than others, but yeah. 
Uh, I don't disagree with what a lot of folks have said and what a lot of folks are thinking, Graham, but I also have seen this kind of stuff happen for long enough to where I think some of this might be a little bit precious and a little bit forgotten here in a fairly short amount of time. Um, why don't we do this? Speaking of time, okay. uh, we have the uh, Isetta Dario Franchitti, um, and then we have the GTPE Electric Power E. Uh, why don't we uh, cover off those two and say farewell? Um, that's good. I'll do that's some more reading, uh, some primate-like hurling of things at you here. Uh, Antonio Miles, any more updates on the uh, Isotta Franchitti hypercar? Uh, what about DiTomaso's plan hypercar? Says, I want to see a lot more boutique manufacturers. Our pal Oliver Trewavas, the at Trewavasaurus, says, Claudio Barrow just announced as the Asada Franchitti Motorsports boss, alongside the first real photo of parts of the car, the engine, instead of just renderings. Is that a statement of intent? Uh, we've got a couple more here, too. You might pick up if you want to, yep. but uh, why don't we at least start off here in the, the world of Dario? Yeah, so uh, it's Otto Fraschini, um, which I checked, I think we first wrote about back in May, uh, to a chorus of uh, calls of vaporware, etc., etc. So, finally, after much prodding and asking for responses, I got a very um, welcome, a very helpful response to an email uh, just over a week ago. That led to a conversation on Saturday with the aforementioned Claudia Barrow. If that's a name you think you're familiar with, you might be right. Claudio previously held senior positions at Ferrari, at Maserati, where he was responsible for the MC12 program, and then at Lotus mm. Um, mm -hmm. not that long ago. Mm -hmm. um, so Claudio is now the managing director of what is now a majority Italian-owned organization. So the original Colombian um founder of the new organization is now is still involved but is in a minority shareholding position it is three people who uh been loved long associations with motorsports are effectively the operational board including claudio um what can we tell you well we can tell you that the reports that the car was in build were inaccurate what i believe had been seen was a mock-up um, but that they are assembling the first car now. Uh, first chassis, which has come from ARS, and that is the organization that's under, I think, I think it used to be called ATR, uh, did provide the chassis for the Ferrari Enzos and the MC12. Also amongst the cars they did the chassis for were the, uh, the Ginetra LMP1, which I know from those in the industry that saw that piece of work, uh, said that that was about as good as it gets in terms of the, the quality of work and things that go behind it. Um, there will be um, wind tunnel work at Sauber. Uh, Williams continue to work on the aerodynamic solution for the car. Uh, they are working to enter the FI World Endurance Championship for 2023. Uh, they had a list of four teams uh, that were uh, initially shortlisted as their operational partner. That is down to two. I can tell you through a variety of means I know exactly who those two are. They are both very credible. Um, they have the budget to take this car to test and development. Their 
partnership with the race team is designed to give them the racing budget. That decision, I am told, will be made this week. Um, so they're looking to actually get the uh, the principal part of the uh, the application for the WEC in this side of Christmas. They have until January the 6th, I believe, for this. Um, there will be a road car in parallel. Cars are being built at Michelotto in a dedicated facility there. And there will be, in due course, when they have the capacity to do so, something that sits somewhere in between the road and the race cars, a track only but not race car. Uh, plan is single race car, full season from Spa onwards in the WEC, and they hope two cars for 2024. That's what we know. Oh, oh beyond that, by the way, uh, that it is a hybrid system. It is not uh, the LMDH spec system, although there are elements of that system that uh, I think have got a part to play. I think principally the battery system from Williams is very similar. Um, and the other thing is that the uh, the ICE engine, the internal combustion engine, uh, we now know, because he told us, um, is a, a V6, 3-litre V6, built by HWA uh, with the assistance of Michelotto, and that Isotto Fraschini own the intellectual property for that. doesn't mean to say it's not based on production units, but they own the uh, intellectual property on that engine. So HWA, of course, well-known for a variety of things in motorsport, principally their work with Class 1 and the DTM until quite recently. So that's all, that's what's going on. What do I think? I think they've got one hell of a job on their hands if they're going racing in 2023. Uh, my view would be, I think they will be lucky if they get an entry for 2023 at this stage, simply because even without the Asota, and for that matter, the Van Wall van der Vel thing, um, I think they're already oversubscribed and significantly oversubscribed and that already involves a boost to the top class numbers. So again, it kind of comes down for a very different reason to the same kind of reckoning that we've already played out on the weekend sports cars with Colin Collis's project, albeit the big difference is there's zero doubt that they own Isotta Fraschini, and that is a major issue still for Mr. Collis. And if I'm correct, the latest bit of paperwork uh, that appears to have landed in the EU consideration uh, of the Van Wall debacle effectively means he's now lost his chance of entering the WEC uh, in 2023. Um, you know, it comes down to evidence that has been provided has not been provided in the correct, as in this case, language. And that is now kicked back to a deadline that sits beyond the point at which he would need to enter. I think the Van Wall is done for 2023. So um, what do I think about the whole thing? Exactly the same as I think about Jim Glickenhouse. Uh, I think having a couple of boutique challenger brands in this fantastic new class, when it's bedded in, is going to be a massive plus for the fan base. It'd be a massive pain in the ass for, for the big brands, particularly if these cars are any good, but a massive plus for the fans. In exactly the same way, MP, as what a boost it was to watch Panos taking the fights to the big boys and girls um, in their, back in the day. It's that kind of thing. You're looking for the little team, little brand that can. 
Uh, that position has been filled by Jim Glickenhouse. Jim tells us he'll be back in 2023, and that's great news. Um, and get the formula right. In the case of Colin Collis, that's get the administrative formula right, the homologation formula right, and the actually building road cars formula right. And in the case of Isotto Fraschini, getting their ducks in a row and having a car that will be bedded in enough to truly take the fight on track to the rest. And if those two projects can survive and come back in better shape for 2024, I think that could be something quite interesting. It's possible the ACO may see it differently from me. Um, and I've not spoken to anybody at the ACO about either of those entries for a while now. Uh, I would not I'd go further. I would be surprised if either got an entry for 23. Um, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if they found space for one or other of them in 2024. And I think that would be the correct way to go about it. That's the way I would see it. Um, we're going to have 9, 10, 11, maybe more uh, cars, various points of uh, 2023 in the WEC. And my guess would be a chunk more for the Le Mans 24 hours. We already know, by the way, and this is something we've not been asked about on Twisk, but I'll say it right here. We already know that Action Express will be at uh, the 24 hours of Le Mans for the very first time, MP, because go and look at the regulations and it makes it very clear that Action Express are sitting there with an automatic invitation. So that's the IMSA nomination um, and Action Express have got that. Pretty certain too that Cadillac Racing will be asking for the second Ganassi car. So the potential is for three Cadillacs uh, at Le Mans and we'll wait and see whether anybody else asks for a third car from amongst the other factory entrants. It's already exciting for 23, the WEC and Le Mans. We know it's already even more exciting for 24. And if these plucky little teams can get it right in design terms, in mechanical terms, in administrative terms and in commercial terms, it could just add another little veneer layer of special that... <laughs> It would be a cool thing indeed to see a few eight or nine-year-old girls and boys standing on the uh, tribunes at Le Mans with, you know, merchandise for a couple of these boutique brands and that that's what defines their journey into and through the sport. It did for my son, uh, albeit at that stage the boutique brand was McLaren. Uh, I think it would be great to see that happening again alongside the big blue chip brands that we know are coming and we know are staying for a while totally unrelated but yeah. may, vaguely related i don't know uh let's see went for my morning walk yesterday okay reminded myself that there was something in the trunk of my old shitbox acura that i needed to take <laughs> out and and bring upstairs at the end of the walk Got to the car, cracked open the trunk, or the boot, as some of our audience might call it, and found the thing that I needed. I remember what it was. Uh, but then saw something that looked like a windbreaker, a thin jacket, and was like, what is that? And Was it, was it James Weaver in there? <sighs> it was. Grabbed that. It was Ian Lammers, actually. Um, grabbed it having no recollection of putting it in there at some point in time in the last couple of years and found that 
remember, Graham. Was it given to me? Did I buy it? I don't know. A Peugeot 908 HDI FAP freaking LMP1 windbreaker. And it just has Peugeot 908, whatever, uh, I think on the one kind of uh, pocket area. But yeah, like, so they weren't exactly a boutique manufacturer, uh, nor... Uh, I don't even remember if they had their own little sales area during their years um, in the late 2000s at Lamar, but in, nonetheless, found that was like, A, that's awesome. B, a little bit less awesome. I think it's an XL, and I put it on, and I could kind of wear it, but I'd be doing the Chris Farley fat guy in a, a little T-shirt routine. Uh, so if it was a 2X, I think it would fit perfectly. Uh, so, yeah, it's currently hanging, and... Once it has fewer wrinkles in it, I'll probably take a couple photos of it and uh, put it up on a new uh, site I have to try and sell about half my belongings because that's about the only way I'm going to cover some of these bills. But anyways, um, why don't we go to the last question? This comes courtesy of Luke Philippone. says, hey, gents. Sorry if this has been asked, but I haven't seen the answer for this. Want to know why the LMDH cars all bump start uh, from electric power from a standstill. He asks, is this rule put in place by IMSA? He also asks if LMH hybrids are subject to the same rule. So I can answer on the IMSA side because I done asked and I was done told. Teams have the freedom to leave the pit boxes under E power or under ICE, internal combustion engine power. So entirely up to them how they want to leave pit lane, uh, be it practice, race, or otherwise. Now, again, will IMSA mandate a change there and say everyone must leave under uh, the ERS instead of the ICE? I I don't know. I would think from a promotional standpoint, Graham, that would certainly be something I would uh, say would make sense. Hi, we've now gone hybrid, and we do have the ability for these cars to leave uh, quietly. Why don't we do that and promote the heck out of it? Because that's a really good showcase of how these vehicles are different from any other that we have raced um, on mass before. But yeah, the way it stands right now, Luke, free to go between the two. Another thing I confirmed, Graham, probably another thing I'll put into a little video too. Seen this at Le Mans. I know that I watched this many times back in the day in the American Le Mans series, and that was the uh, the rule allowance for the cars to auto start yep. the moment that they are dropped. Uh, meaning, uh, when the air jack is pulled, the way this would happen was the strain gauges, the load gauges in the four push rods. Um, on the cars would go from having zero load up in the air, obviously wheels and tires clear the ground, pull the, uh, the uh, air wand there, car drops, minute those tires hit the ground, even before the chassis come all the way down, uh, weight, load would be received and seen through those strain gauges. That information, again, going at a zillion miles an hour through the uh, um, the ECU and the data system and such would then say, Hey, we got weight, fire up the motor and off you go. And so you had this amazing launch of like, wow, yep. right? No 
bump, hit the ground, brr, hit the starter motor, and off you go. Saved whatever amount of time, one second, one half point, a second, whatever. It was no, it was one point five seconds. Yeah, what I remember, they, they had to adjust for the non uh, hybrid cars because it was a lot uh, to the the Toyota with its start drop and electric um, fire thingy thing. Um, it was one and a half seconds. It had to be adjusted on the pit stop regulations so that they didn't get a one and a half second advantage on everybody else. 1.5 seconds. Yes, indeed. So uh, that not allowed in IMSA. So indeed, uh, there's no electronic trickery of seeing loads across the strain gauges and the thing firing up and taking off on its own. So it is by rule something that must happen manually driver intervention if you want to call it that but uh yeah so just related i don't recall if we spoke about this in one of our end of day videos but i know that a lot of folks have raised questions on pit lane about these cars leaving silently and could that catch folks unawares and cause for some running over of whether it's photographers or other crew members whatever folks who just might not hear that sound of a engine going that normally turns you to swivel your head and be aware of it i need to get a little bit of a deeper understanding on this from imsa's standpoint graham Mm -hmm. for you and folks who are well versed with uh these happenings leaving under electric power in the wc nothing new right this happened for a good long while etc etc uh but at least in IMSA, this is something new. So could there be something they try and do in the early races as folks get accustomed to this, some sort of uh, common sound that the GTP cars emit if they're leaving under e-power? That's something that we have with uh, road hybrids and EVs, right? If they're backing up and there's no sound coming from uh, an exhaust, uh, it's pretty normal to hear some sort of sound emitting from the vehicle strictly for the uh the reason of alerting those in proximity to not get backed over i don't know if imsa will feel the need to do that but i do know that uh it's certainly a concern i've heard raised by a few folks and it just stood out to me as something to be uh mildly aware of as well so just just looking by the way at the newest sporting regulations for WEC while you've been giving that explanation there is no mention in the sporting regulations of the need to uh, to go on electric power only what i believe has been the case i think it's been discussed and not least because of some of the issues we talked about earlier in the show mp is i think this is something that might well be changed and might well be mandated in the future uh, right now the concern is getting these cars squared away and being uh, as reliable as they can possibly be so if they're confident to use it great use it if they're not confident to use it don't make them do it don't add another level of risk while they're firefighting like hell on a whole range of other uh, other matters so um i'm thinking about it actually from the point of view of the wec the lmh cars to this point have had hybrid activation only over 190 kilometers an hour um yes you could add a regulation that says they could fire um on that point but um 
I don't see that that's likely to be in the regulations for 2023, at least, I think is what I'd say there. We should close yep. by asking our listeners, and hopefully this longish, longer than usual episode of The Week in Sports Cars will help you in your holiday travels and whatnot. That's a total excuse I just came up with. Um, <laughs> if you're still listening... You need to tweet at Marshall Pruitt or at DSC Editor. Give us your thoughts on the sound. If IMSA were to mandate a sound for its GTP cars, its hybrid hot rods, leaving the box under silent electric power, what sound should be? they be required to play keep in mind i don't know maybe they'd have to fit some sort of speakers uh that they don't have right now um my choice yakety sax right the old benny hill right um but hey if we're going old 70s comedy shows maybe uh the theme song for sanford and son um Give us your thoughts. We need to know. We might, if we get enough great ideas, could be songs, could be who knows what other sounds that might come to mind. Um, could just be really brappy, wet fart sounds. I don't know. Um, send us your ideas, and maybe if either one of us are can be bothered, we'll set it up as a poll. Well, because you know, if Twitter's good for one thing, as the owner of Twitter has shown. Uh, it's doing polls and abiding by the results. <laughs> oh, Lord. But anyways, yeah, send us your ideas, uh, and we will make sure to send them to IMSA, who will then tell us after the Rolex 24 uh, with a light smirk, which will inform us that they're completely lying, that uh, they didn't get it and it went into uh, their spam. But uh, we'll send those along, knowing they won't pay attention to them. They'll probably block our email addresses. But uh you tell us, we'll set up a poll, and the fifth option, because I think you can only do five, is uh, should Elon Musk step down as CEO of Twitter? Is that, yeah. yeah. Or so, indeed, my, my, yeah, I think you know my favorite uh, idea on this front is that each of the teams should have their own theme tune that plays, and I'd be keen for that to be another kind of conversation as we move forward. Which team, which song, and which tempo, uh, I think would be the clear thing and uh and by the way if you're listening jota sport uh please do make sure that your two different cars have got two different tunes because we wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them yes that well known problem and anybody who suggests the theme music the music bed for the weekend sports cars like i'll send you something i'll send you like a (laughs) sticker or something <laughs> did you tell folks graham that you got a care package by the way i did get a care package i've not told them i've got uh, i've got it sitting here on the desk in front of me you should take a it photo is. and tweet that out i should because those and, are uh, and, uh, it's got to be said uh, the, one of the little pin badges has made its way onto my pin board um with my little collection of pin badges that sit there but uh and those are the, those are meant for, i mean for you to do with as I you know. please keep them all if you want but there was an extra ration of we will, each given so you could kind of give those away to listeners when you see oh them. we will so oh, we will yeah yeah don't, don't they, they'll be traveling with me share don't um, keep it a secret no no they'll be traveling with me they didn't come to Qatar because i was just too exhausted uh but uh they'll be traveling with me and there's lots of travel to come uh hopefully amongst the first ones being the Rolex 24 hours and uh, we're in the process of putting together our 
package of who's doing what for that great race for the end of January. I suspect, MP, with you now officially on vacation and with just eight days worth of work to do in the next three days, um, this is probably our final show before the Christmas period, isn't it? Is it? Well, before Christmas, yeah, because we usually don't do two before Christmas. Uh, are we gonna, or before, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with uh, with post Christmas and pre year? Are we going to do a review of the year? I think we should. I will say yes without a doubt. But I think I'm going to. If you're in agreement, yeah. I would suggest we go the 100 percent lazy route. Ooh. I don't give a crap about your thoughts of stuff for the year, nor do you give a crap about my thoughts about the year. So I'd rather have our listeners send in best memories of the year, worst memories of the year, ass hattery, run amok, just whatever. It's Um, an award show. That's I'll, I'll leave it with me. Leave it with me. I, I have got an unfeasible amount of alcohol in the house. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? I do too. I've got a, a number of beers that have been stockpiled and Ooh. I don't know why, but I haven't had any, but Hey, since I'm on vacation, yes. maybe yeah. drunk working, um, maybe that's going to be the new theme, but yeah, we should just do next week's show. Just let's read off folks thoughts and, uh, let's you do that thing. a full takeover and we'll just be the monkeys, uh, mispronouncing well. the things you've sent in. Well, look out then on our usual social media platforms, and that's Muscovision, of course, uh, Twitter. And, Moscow uh, Vision? Uh, not quite. Did it's we get bought by motorsport.com? What happened? What, what did you just hang on, say? Hang on. I, I've got a furball. Oh, no, I've not. Um, but, uh, and, and of course, on Facebook, the now least friendly, uh, well, the second least friendly social media platform. I don't count LinkedIn because LinkedIn, that doesn't really work. Uh, I don't understand Instagram, and don't get me started on TikTok. Uh, but uh, look out for some uh, some threads coming forward that will feed into our end-of-the-year show. Um, and let's look forward, MP, to 2023, when finally this golden age of sports car racing should get underway. How could we, though, fantastic- call something that hasn't happened a golden age? And we I know can. I've said that, too, so I'm fully we, guilty. We, I'm calling myself Yeah, up. yeah, we can. The golden age of sports car racing, the first race of which will be won by car. An LMP2. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, is Would that be a, a, a lead age? A tin age? Um, or bronze? I don't know. It's the age of stratification. Oh, Jesus. Can you imagine how slow they're going to make those cars if that happens? Oh, dear me. I've just gotten um, some pills, so I'm hoping by the time we record next week, my stratification will be all cleared up. So Fantastic. Yes. Right, so let's say for the moment, uh, good night to everybody. Thanks to Daniel Summerskill for putting together these questions, and thanks to all of you uh, for a very large number of questions this week, and apologies if we didn't get to them. Thanks, of course, as always, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, and to TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, they make this happen, and thanks to them. Thanks for all of your uh, goodwill throughout the year here, MP. It's been a busy old year on a number of fronts. It continues to be so, even though you're on vacation, in theory. Yep. Um, and, yeah, thanks to the listeners for sticking with us through this year. One more to go before we sign off from 2022 and come stumbling into the lights of 2023. Is that a golden age at the end of the tunnel, or is it a freight train coming? 
We'll soon find out. Uh, he's been Marshall Pruitt across in the United States. I've been Graham Goodwin here in the rainy, cold, old UK. This has been the Weekend Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast. And we will speak to you next week. <laughs>